0: Welcome back everyone, and if it uh, works to have your video on, it's very nice to be able to see people as I speak and as we interact, so if that's uh, possible, that, that'd be great. I want to continue this week, today, with the exploration of wise speech and how to cultivate and practice wise and skillful communication. This is a traditional area of Buddhist practice. It might be surprising to many of us when we explored the core teachings to see that among the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path is one, on speech. Weren't the old practitioners in the days of the Buddha just doing silent meditation all the time? The answer is no. They were often invited to dinner parties. When you read the text, they're always being invited to hang out and to be with, uh, you know, to... They probably were more midday... midday Uh, meals but there was a lot of interaction and there also were at times within the different communities guided by the Buddha there were challenges and difficulties and conflicts often manifesting in unskillful speech. So this is part of the background that it was a very central teaching, and set of practices. We know, for example, that we can be in an interaction, and a few words can trigger us, and may trigger us such that we speak unskillfully, or go into different forms, or one of a possible many different forms of unskillful speech, blaming or judging ourselves or others into different forms of uh, reactivity. The spiritual teacher Ram Dass said he could get a few words from his family and his years of spiritual practice would go out the window. Does anyone relate to that? (laughs) We we know that, yeah. We know that a few words can trigger us and make our skillful speech very hard, make it, you know, make us wonder where is the wisdom and the love that I think I've been cultivating over these years. And we also know that words can be incredibly healing. And, you know, for some of the situations mentioned just now uh, in our sharing, probably for, for the little, um, you know, for the uh, service dog or for some of the, the friends, kind and skillful speech has been crucial in the midst of those challenges and can be incredibly supportive helpful turn um, in a moment, perhaps, uh, someone being caught in reactivity and difficulty can really uh, shift the emotional landscape. A few kind words, sometimes even kind words to oneself. You know, uh, I like there's a phrase from the great Jewish... um, uh, writer and activist uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, he spoke of the aspiration to have what he called holiness in words. It's a phrase that's always resonated with me. Holiness in words. We can use our own language, maybe we wouldn't use that language, but we aspire to have our speech uh, fully integrated with our cultivation of loving-kindness, of uh, compassion, of wisdom, and other forms of skillful action. And as I mentioned last time, skillful speech has not always been highlighted in Buddhist practice. I would say it's it's been somewhat marginalized. You know, in so much uh, Buddhist practice in the West particularly, not all of it, but a lot of it, there's so much of an emphasis on meditation and often less on daily life. And right at the heart of daily life is skillful speech, right? And I think that's sometimes an issue. A lot of places, including Spirit Rock and two of my main homes, uh, Spirit Rock and uh, the East Bay Meditation Center, they have their in their names Meditation Center. You know, when we were forming the East Bay Center, we were originally gonna call it the East Bay Dharma Center, but that sounded for many people too esoteric, and meditation was familiar, but in a way, it's not accurate. You know, meditation is part of our practice, at least formal silent meditation. We could think of everything as bringing in meditation. And not coincidentally, there have often been challenges over the last years in Buddhist communities, including monastic communities, where, um, I think I mentioned last time, where they found that often when there were challenges they were not always skillful in speaking, including at places where, you know, where I've been connected. You know, and I I remember, I've been exploring wise and skillful speech both in my own practice and in teaching, in teaching for about the last 20 years and have developed a kind of both an integration of Buddhist resources along with uh, contemporary resources on speech but also integrating in different ways as we'll see a little bit later You know, scientific research on uh, on the emotions and so forth so there's a kind of a what, I'm, what I'll be offering, what I offered last time and offering further today, is a kind of integration in a contemporary way that makes possible uh, our increasingly skillful speech. Last time, I presented three foundations for skillful speech, and I want to briefly review those. The first foundation is developing a sense of presence, or mindfulness, some degree of mindfulness, in the middle of speaking and listening, in the middle of communication. I'll come back to that in a moment. The second is working with the uh, guidelines given in the core teachings on wise speech by the Buddha. I'll come back to that. And the third foundation is being skillful with the emotions and thoughts and bodily experiences that come up during speech. My sense is that to really cultivate and manifest skillful speech in a mature way, we need to work on all of these. So this is not a small matter, right? And you can see in the way I'm mentioning these three first foundations that I'm naming that Uh, skillful speech is closely integrated with other forms of training. You know that to have skillful speech we need to have a pretty high level pretty good level I should say of mindfulness of awareness, of being aware in the present moment including in more complex activities like speaking. We also very much need to be able to be skillful with what might come up in the middle of interactions. If I have uh, anger come up in the middle of an interaction, how do I work with that? that? That ability in the present moment to be skillful with anger will most likely depend a lot on how I've been able in other times, including in formal meditation, to be skillful with anger and other challenging emotions or thoughts or body states. In in a way what I'm saying is obvious but it's really good to name them, name these areas because uh, this is a way to practice. And what I'm intending for today is to do a brief review of those three foundations, a fuller account is in the recording from last time, which is on the website dharmaseed.org. All of the Wednesday morning uh, talks are recorded. And we keep them there unless we really bomb. Which could happen. Could even happen today. Who knows? We'll see. Suspense. Anyway. Um... And so we'll we'll be reviewing those three foundations I named and then adding a really crucial fourth foundation, which is a grounding in um, empathy as an intention in our speech to understand and connect with another or with others. And we'll both explore the nature of empathy and clarify and really point out a way of developing what uh, I and my colleagues uh, call an empathy practice, empathy as a practice, as an intentional practice that we can manifest. And we'll do some, we'll do some exercises. And then I'm, I'm thinking, we'll have to, I'm imagining that when I come back in August, we'll take those foundations those uh, four really important foundations, expand them a little bit further, but then apply them more directly to difficult or challenging situations. So the idea is cultivate the foundations, keep on developing them, a lot of time just developing the foundations before we bring them to challenging situations, and then eventually bring them into those kind of situations. And I'll I'll talk about that, but especially we're going to learn by working with uh, situations that are moderately difficult, not the most difficult ones. So that's what I'll be, that's what we'll be exploring a little bit further further today. So the first foundation that I named is developing presence in the middle of speaking and listening. And I'll invite us, even right now, to do that. You can do it in a simple way, and it's easier to train in this when we're listening and don't have to respond. So we might be, when we're at a meeting and listening, we can cultivate this. Develop some degree of presence as you listen. And this isn't necessarily to have a full-fledged mindfulness practice where I'm tracking what's going on. What I suggest as a beginning way to develop presence is to ground a little bit in the body. Like have, maybe have awareness of one's hands maybe 20% of your attention. And again, can easier to train when we're just listening. Or could be feel the feet on the floor, or feel one's body in a general way. What this does is it gives us some degree of presence, takes us away from being totally in the automatic mind, in the thought process. And it's more likely when we have some inner awareness, even 20-30% at the bodily level, it's more likely that we will notice reactivity or difficult emotions going on, whereas if we're only with the automatic mind, it'll be harder. We'll just be at that mental level, which we know very well, right? We know what that is like to be caught at the mental level for sustained periods of time. So this is a, a practice that really is crucial, and this is one that's not explicit with the Buddha, this is something that, you know, I and others have innovated, a way of keeping inner and outer awareness. The direction is towards keeping inner and outer awareness at the same time. Not easy, not a beginning practice, but something that we can cultivate in different ways. You know, what I find in this culture, having body awareness is a crucial way to do this, You know because it's such... Often, such a mental culture, and so anything which we do outside of speaking, which helps us develop body awareness, like taking a walk, being aware of the body, bringing body awareness to exercise, to other things to eating, is going to be supportive of this of this capacity. The second foundation that I covered last time, in which uh, you know I invited people to practice all of these. Uh, during the last week. The second foundation does come explicitly from the teachings of the Buddha. And this, uh, this this is a set of four guidelines for mature speech, for being able to be skillful in speech. And they're very fairly simple and in some ways commonsensical guidelines. The first is to be truthful, the second is to be helpful. The third is to come out of, as much as possible, a kind heart, even when we're saying something difficult. And the fourth is to have appropriateness of speech, which a key aspect of that is timing. Having good timing, when is it good to have that discussion, and so forth. This is, this is from the Buddha. And he here he's, he's naming them as five factors, but if you listen, you'll hear that two of them really relate to the quality of uh, warmth or kindness. A statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. That's the last one. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. It's another expression. I think I would connect a mind of goodwill and affectionately as expressing that quality of um, of the kind heart. And I'll just talk briefly about each of these. Uh, we could take the whole of our session and go into the nuances of these guidelines. You know, being truthful um you know there are a lot of challenges and nuances of being truthful, and we could really go into detail on that. But I'll I'll be brief. And the other the other thing before I begin is to say that it's crucial that all of these have to come together, as I mentioned last time. We we can be truthful and not come from a kind heart. And we can do that and we sometimes call that dumping. You know, I'll be really, really truthful but I won't come from my kindness, right? We know we do that sometimes, right? So they all have to come together. That's a crucial aspect. Truthfulness is particularly important because it brings trust. And it brings, uh, really builds connection. You know, when there's a lack of truthfulness, it disrupts, Connection it develops uh, tr- it it um, leads to there being less trust whether it's interpersonal or whether it's uh, believing in what we're told by the government right in many countries including uh, many of those represented by people here today there have been times when the government could not be trusted to be honest right and so. Um, truthfulness is really a crucial aspect. Helpfulness also really has to do with that uh, you know cooperative and connected way of being together. You know and as you hear these listen for those that you're as it were best at and those where you need a little more work. You know what I have found in practicing with these is particularly when I'm busy I'm really good at being truthful and helpful, but I don't always come from a kind heart when I'm busy, got to get a lot done, be efficient, etc. Anyone relate to that? <laughs> That's very common, right? Right. And so we could especially bring in, to bring into situations and context where like, like being busy, let me especially bring in that sense of warmth or kindness. We could especially have that intention. And again, uh, with this third factor of warmth or kindness, this is from the Buddha. One avoids harsh language and abstains from it. One speaks such words that are gentle, soothing to the ear, loving, as go to the heart, are courteous, friendly, and agreeable to many. And again, it's, we can have that kind of kind speech, even with difficult situations, saying no, setting boundaries, saying that's not okay. That's more challenging for us often, more advanced practice. But the intention of kind speech is to go along with all situations. It's not about, as I mentioned last time, not about being nicey-nice, you know, and not about using the guideline as a way of what we sometimes call spiritual bypassing not to go into hard stuff. We don't want to use these guidelines in that way. And then the fourth guideline is appropriateness, especially good timing. Uh, We want to uh, really look into speech. The Buddha sometimes singled out speech which was just, you know, wandering, driven by greed, hatred, and delusion, sort of mindless chattering. You know, and so you know, we might really, um, you know, really look into our speech. When am I present to skillful speech? And when am I sort of lost in maybe small talk, which goes into dangerous territory? That's what the Buddha was getting at. So these guidelines can uh, can be practiced in a few different ways. They can be, as I mentioned last time, behavioral guidelines. They can really guide how we act, how we speak. And they can also be, in a way, uh, wake-up calls for our mindfulness. Oh, I was exaggerating a little bit. Oh, I wasn't really telling the complete truth. What's going on, Donald? Let me look. What's there for me? So they can be, again, guide our behavior. And when we notice them, we can say, okay, what's happening? Let me look at what's going on. They can, in a way, stop us in the moment. And we can use these in different ways. You know, I mentioned how I worked with a group once for six months with these guidelines. I put up by my telephone the four guidelines, and I would always uh, answer the telephone. I would let it ring truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello, <laughs> right? And I would. I would do that. We would have them, uh, some of the groups I was with, we had these as guidelines for our meetings. You could go into them, you know, for like a difficult conversation, you could uh, go in with those guidelines. And then the third foundation, which I won't go into too much depth on, is being skillful with the thoughts, emotions, and body states, particularly difficult ones, that arise in the midst of speech. And this capacity is clearly supported by our inner work in meditation and just in the flow of the day. Can I be with challenging emotions, challenging thoughts, and work with them skillfully? All of that inner work is going to find further fruit in our speaking so it might mean that in the midst of conversation I know that I noticed I'm really getting judgmental there's a lot of reactivity I might pick that up with my mindfulness and I might say to my person I'm talking with you know I'm there's a lot of reactivity here I think it'd be better for our interaction if I took a pause now that could be a very skillful way of working with difficult emotions, pauses, very simple in concept, very profound if we bring those in, you know whether we're on our own or with others, knowing what to do when there certain things come up, and practicing so we can really notice, practicing again in our formal meditation and so forth. A lot of different things that we could uh, work with, and more, there's more detail in uh, what I presented last time. The fourth foundation is aiming to have understanding and connection with another through empathy. And I'll talk about empathy briefly. I'll introduce a way of practicing, and we'll do some practices together. So empathy is interesting. It's interesting as a term. It was a made-up word in the English language made up around 1900, 1910 or so, by psychologists. Some of you know this. Uh, There was a word that was developed by German psychologists in the late 1800s, which we translate as empathy. Uh, It was a made-up word in Germany as well. It was, I think, Einfühlung, which means feeling into. Feeling into. And so they made up empathy to get at this term which relates to the ability to tune into another person's experience and just to a significant extent know what's happening. There's been a lot of research done, especially in the last 20 years, on empathy. And it's really been found that empathy, the ability to tune into another's experience is an innate human capacity grounded in the limbic system of the brain. It's a capacity that everyone has, although it can be um, affected by uh, you know, diseases of the brain and by some psychopathology. Some psychopathologies uh, affect the regions of the brain where, where different forms of empathy are. The, the neuroscientists have found three forms of empathy associated with three different areas of the brain. One is the one that we probably most commonly think of in terms of empathy. This is tuning in to the emotions of other. I think we can also be empathic towards ourselves. This is tuning in to emotions. A second is tuning in to what we might call the meaning or what matters for another person. This is a little more cognitive. And that's a second level of empathy also associated with a part of the brain. And then a third dimension of empathy is more on the bodily level. And this is uh, associated with the so-called mirror neurons that when when I see someone walking let's say across the room I will have at the level of my neurons in a certain part of the brain, there will be little images of someone walking. That's actually a bodily-based form of empathy. I will almost like be tuning in to the physical movement of another person at the level of the brain. Interesting, so there there are, form, there's a, there are forms of empathy for the emotions for more at the more mental or meaning level and also at the body level. I'm going to focus on the first two in developing a practice of empathy. And, And particularly focus on empathy as a way of connecting. Empathy is natural, but it can be suppressed. It can be overcome when there's fear or trauma or simply a lot of social conditioning results in empathy not being there in the same way, right? And so we can actually notice that in many situations, there's not much empathy going on, right? And yet empathy may be one of the most beloved, to receive empathy in a connecting way, may be one of the most meaningful experiences that humans can have, to be, we use language like to be understood, to feel understood, to feel heard, to feel seen, right? This all relates to empathy, and these are among our most prized experiences. The uh, psychologist uh, Carl Rogers said, when someone really hears you without passing judgment on you, without trying to take responsibility for you, without trying to mold you, it feels and he's going to use a technical psychological term, he says, it feels damn good. <laughs> okay. When someone really gives you empathy, it feels damn good. Okay. okay. Anna, you could probably translate that easily into German, right? <laughs> okay. I think. And so, I know we have people with different native languages here. And so, I like to distinguish between empathy as an innate capacity and empathy as a um, and empathy as a uh, way of practicing. I think that's in part because empathy can be misused. That we can um, a psychopath will have empathy, and use the tuning into another, maybe to manipulate the other, or to do something negative. So I can have empathy without the intention to understand and connect. I can have empathy, and I can, if I'm a, a manipulative politician, of which there occasionally are such beings, if I am a manipulative politician, I may use my empathic understanding of how some people are feeling and use that to divide one group from another, right? And so empathy as an innate capacity doesn't translate necessarily into action with the aim of understanding and connection. And so I have felt a need to talk, to distinguish between empathy as an innate capacity and empathy as a way of practicing. Now, I'll get to a, a practice just in a moment, but I wanted to say one further thing is that I think that the practice of empathy is crucial on a social level, and I'm sympathetic to those who say that empathy is crucial for the future of the planet, actually. That, and there There is a book written by uh, Jeremy Rifkin called The Empathic Civilization. He made the claim that empathy, particularly tuning into what others in other countries are experiencing at times of crisis, is crucial for global responses. That if we only have empathy to a small circle, which is often the way we may grow up, we may be not really capable of doing what's necessary. That expanding a sense of empathy can be really, really crucial. There's a quote that I like very much from the columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle given in the middle of the 2016 election. Otis Taylor said this, I argue that the lack of empathy is the most pressing issue in America, and it's more compelling than national security threats, bad trade deals, unpaid taxes, and deleted emails. I agree with that, that the lack of empathy, we can see that in the political polarization. You know, there's not empathy going from typically from one side to another. What would it be like if we went across a polarized situation with empathy? Well, we'd have to have the intention to understand and connect rather than just gain power from my side, right? And so this is a deeper issue. I won't go into more depth on this now, but just to say it's really crucial. I once did a training with a a man named David Kemp, uh, C A M P T. You can look his work up on the web. And this was a training he believed that the, the one of the main ways to end racism, he thought, was to have empathy and extended families across political divides and come to agree without needing to be on one side of the political spectrum or another, that racism should be ended. He thought that empathy, and by the way, he's, he's an African-American trainer, and I, I found the training very powerful and impressive when I, when I took it, that um, it's just one example, that he said that having empathy in extended families and actively cultivating empathy can have major social effects. So that's my little, what, um, promo for empathy, (laughs) that it can really be significant on a social level. How to practice empathy. I want to make use of of, uh, material from the discipline of nonviolent communication and talk about cultivating empathy in two ways which correspond to these first two ways in which empathy is innate in the brain. The first is tuning in to the emotions of another person. And I'll do this, and and I'll, let's put this handout on now, Carlita, the one on feelings. Nonviolent communication is a really uh, wonderful discipline developed by Marshall Rosenberg that I'll Go into a little bit on now, but we'll we'll have a little more attention to it next time. Developed in the last what uh, maybe 40 years, and I'm going to use part of it. He identified as particularly important, knowing what the emotions are, and one of the benefits of this. And this is by the way, this is in the, this is in the um, chat. There, there, Carlita. There's a link right where people can download it if you wish, right. Okay, so that's available.
1: I can put it in after I take it down, yes.
0: Okay, you can do that. And so let's make this a little smaller if we can, so we can see a little bit more of the chart. What is based what this is helpful for is really giving a much more differentiated set of emotions. You know, and we can we can work with this, yeah. You know, uh, Carlita, what I was asking is to maybe have it be uh, smaller, like a hundred percent or something, rather than uh, showing as much as you did. And so we could use this to really know uh, the whole a wide range of emotions. Many of us just are familiar with a few emotions. So this is good if you can download this, or maybe I, I can put I can also put this on Dharma Seed. So you could download it there. That would also be a simple way. Let's, um, can we, um, and so the second, let me, or let me back up. So the first way of practicing will be to tune into emotions. The second will be to tune into what are called needs. Let's put that up now on the, um, so everyone can see that. Needs are what Marshall Rosenberg defined as, what matters to someone. And these are uh, what's interesting about the needs and really crucial for empathy is that needs are always going to be there. And nonviolent Communication has said that everything we say or do is animated by needs. And Heath says that needs are always universally valid. You know, I may be acting because I want more autonomy. You may disagree with people about um, COVID vaccines. Let's keep it up there where you had it. Let's bring it up. Yeah, just right. Let's keep it there for a moment. Okay. We may disagree with people about uh, COVID vaccines, but we could see how people who are so-called anti-vaxxers are acting because they want to preserve freedom or autonomy. And there's a crucial distinction between what matters and the strategy that people use to get, to, um, get as much as they can to, to achieve what matters. So someone may be wanting peace and be an alcoholic. The, the need for what I would call what matters is some kind of peace, some kind of relaxation, which is valid. The strategy may be very unskillful. You might even think, what are some examples of having a very valid need but unskillful strategies? You know, an example I often give is someone who is the facilitator of meeting, who really values efficiency of the meeting and is very, very controlling, what we would call a control freak. A valid need for efficiency, a questionable strategy. This is going to be crucial for empathy because we can develop the capacity to tune in to what matters for someone and what the emotions are, even when we disagree with their strategy. So it's going to be crucial for difficult situations. So let's do this in practice now. Let's let go of the slide and come back. And I'm going to, we're going to do two exercises you're going to do these with me. The first one is, I'm going to talk for about two minutes about something that happened, and I want you to tune in to what are some of my emotions and what are some of my needs, what matters for me. okay? And the emotions will be a little more help, uh, easy for you. You might even, if it works for you, to, to um, get the uh, chart on needs, from the uh, uh, from the chat and even look at them at the same time. But I think it's also probably most valuable just to tune into my emotions, my tone. So we, we Carlita and I discussed, you know, whether we should have the uh, slide on so you could see that, but we thought it was better just so you could just look at me, okay? So right now set your intention to notice my emotions and just think of two or three of them And notice what you sense matters for me. Okay, ready? So on Monday, I went to Spirit Rock. And some of you were connected with this. We had the first time for a Monday evening talk. It was in person at Spirit Rock. And I hadn't been at Spirit Rock for a few months. It was wonderful to be there. There were over 250 people who came in person, right? And they were, you know, um, enthusiastic, and I enjoyed the talk and it was fun. And people seemed to like it. And um, and then there were, you know, over a hundred people online, and it was a good experience. And it was so good I stayed up too late and I didn't sleep so well that night. Uh, Because I, I woke up early because I wanted to get up early and join the, uh, I stayed at Spirit Rock and join the early meditation. Okay, cut. Okay, so let's put uh, into the chat, put into the chat uh, first an emotion that you noticed. And Carlita, if you could read those as they come through. What were emotions? Beautiful. So so far,
2: I've seen excitement, enthusiasm, joy, gladness, gratitude, more excitement, happiness, more joy, uh, delight, energy, happiness.
0: Yeah. Surprise. Great. Uh, we can we can stop there. To okay. quote Carl Rogers, that feels damn good. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, you were on target. One of the interesting things about doing empathy like this is that there are aspects of my emotions that I, I wouldn't have thought of, right? You notice things that I wouldn't notice myself. And now, what were some of the needs? Again, this is something that, for many of us, needs a little more training, and it's helpful. And I'll, I'm going to uh, upload my talk uh, later today, and I'll, put as part of the... Um, I'll put the, uh, something on the web there that you can download these charts of emotions and needs. Or feel, I like to use the word emotions because feelings is to me ambiguous. Feeling can mean, in English, uh, a thought, a body sensation, or an emotion. So I, I prefer to use the word emotions. So, but what were some of the needs that you noticed? And again, let's put them in the chat. Just put one, one each.
2: All right, I'm seeing lots coming in here. Uh, Starts off with community, connection, being appreciated, celebration, more community and connection. Yeah. To be noticed and approved of, belonging, nurturing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wanting to be heard.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. So... You, you can see, that, that all of those felt right on target, so to speak. And you can see that empathy is not hard. Like our mindfulness, empathy is not hard, mindfulness not hard. Remembering to be empathic can be hard. Remembering to be mindful can be hard, right? And so what I want to invite, and I think I actually had some other practices I was going to do, which I'll reserve toward to next time uh, i'll give an empathy practice next time that will be in august that will be particularly focused on cultivating empathy when there's a challenging situation you know and one way to do that i'll just mention it we'll do it as an exercise next time it's to actually when you have like a difficult interaction with another person this is what i was going to have the paper for have Uh, something like uh, four quadrants, you know, that looks like this. You have four quadrants, and you can see if you look at this, we have, at the top, we have my emotions, and then the other person's emotions, and then my needs and the other person's needs. You could practice like that. I was going to do an exercise, but I want to go into discussion in terms of time. But have a little four-block quadrant where you, um, you know, maybe we can put that up uh, just for a moment, Carlita. Yeah, that last one. And you could you could actually do this at home, you know, um, you know, just have a qu- four quadrants like this. Maybe you could even write this down if you want up and um, fill it out and have a difficult interaction. Do what you just did with me with the other person. It might involve some guesswork but you can do that and then also give yourself empathy. Tune in in that way. You know? And If we had another 15 minutes I would do this exercise right now. Okay? So let's take a moment I've said a lot. Let's take a moment to pause See what may have been resonant with you or helpful. Be a sense of what you'd like to continue on your own. And also remember, if you were here last time and explored wise speech during the week, what were some of your observations or insights? So take a minute or so to bring in any of those areas. Okay, so let's um, open things up to anyone who wants to um, ask a question. Again, you can do it in the chat if you'd rather not be um, on the screen. Um, ask a question, share something maybe from the last week that you learned. Um, yeah, bring up something from your experience. Uh, we have first, Victoria.
1: Yeah, hi Donald. Hi.
0: Um,
1: thank you. Um I had a burning question last week and um just and wanted to ask it today, but now I forgot what it was. So, um, but I I have I've tried to reformulate what the feeling was last week that I wanted to ask, um, which is essentially when one has truly a wise intention and well, I'll give an example, I think it'll make it faster and easier. Um, as you know, I'm a professional musician and I've spent a lot of my life um playing chamber music so that means in an ensemble um or also as a soloist with a pianist which means I'm working with a colleague and um if I notice a discrepancy you know that we're not together or whatever um it's always a guessing game how to tell the other person in a wise and compassionate and empathic and I I today while you were talking I was I was rehearsing in my mind, all of those points like you did before you answer the phone. And I thought, I think, you know, 90% of the time, sometimes I fail, I, I am applying those, those, um, you know, those, those foundations of mindful speech. Yeah. But, um, but it seems to depend so much on the ears of the person who's listening, you know, so in other words, if you're dealing with a fragile ego, which is common in the arts. Um, so I just wonder if you had any pointers of like when one is truly sensitive to the other person and something that does need to be said, it's yeah. n- it can't be avoided and you can't, the timing, there's a limit to how, how long you can wait or whatever yeah. for the timing.
0: Great. Yeah. Thanks Victoria. Um, yeah. Uh, a few thoughts and, um, this is really, um, getting into what we'll be exploring next time in terms of challenging or complex uh, situations. One thing is to know that you can be impeccable and the other person may still uh, develop reactivity. There's no guarantee on the basis of how we speak that you'll get the result that you want. So just to know that, That can means you do your best, but you can't control the result. It's going to be dependent on the other. Secondly, it's all going to depend on the relationship and uh, the nature of the relationship, whether you have a history of doing this. The more we have a history um, together navigating challenging situations, the easier it'll be. So you can think of doing this as potentially building a history where all of this becomes easier and easier, and people want to. But it's going to depend on the capacity of the other, like you say, the other person to hear, and sometimes that might not be possible for reasons like you suggested, maybe the, you know, the, the psychology of the other person. And so you, you want to follow the guidelines you know, as much as possible, taking into consideration what you imagine of the other, peop- other person, And, um, sometimes it's helpful, again, we could go on with this for a long time, but maybe help a third point, maybe just, um, even to ask the person, would you like, you know, would you like some feedback when that's appropriate? Maybe not, maybe sometimes you, like you say, you have to speak or it's really important to speak, but sometimes you could ask. So why don't I stop there and we can look into more maybe next time. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Victoria. We have Vivian and then uh, Yeah. Thanks for the question, Victoria. Really, how many could relate to that question at times, even if you're not a professional musician? (laughs) Thanks.
3: Um, Thank you for calling on me. I I have a relationship with someone that is ongoing and is not going to to have any kind of um, falling apart, but... Buttons are pushed and communication doesn't happen and I try very hard and I have a little list and I look at it, the true, helpful, appropriate kind. And at some point in every conversation, I get stuck in the sense that I don't get the response from the other person. And I have found that The only thing that works, and it does work for me now, although it's a little frustrating, the only thing that works is I say, okay, this isn't going anyplace. I'm just going to be quiet and listen. That's what this other person needs. I'm not going to get any further in the
0: conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Vivian. That sounds often very skillful, you know, to... um Right. There are a lot of old passages in the old text when it says you know more or less when you when you're you know if there's it's not saying what you're you were saying but when there's might be reactivity or something or you you know it's very valuable to be like a bump on a log, <laughs> and so sometimes that that is the wisest thing not saying something, not doing something, and I just wanted to mention some others which also apply to uh, the situation that uh, that Victoria brought up, which is that keep practicing all of these with less difficult situations. That's going to be crucial. Keep practicing all of what we've been looking at uh, with easier situations, not just to reserve one's practice for when it's challenging, because then we will get better at it, right? It's like... uh, keep practicing with with mildly challenging situations. I practice with telemarketers. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes, you know, with with drivers and so forth. Um, But especially telemarketers, because I talk to them sometimes. I sometimes answer telemarketing calls. It's just a a peculiar aspect of my personality. Anyway. um, And the other thing is you could also, also relevant to what Victoria brought up, you can bring in... Uh, you can um, do your own personal inner work with whatever is brought up by the situation. In other words, do your inner work. You can do that separately from the actual interaction. You can deliberately bring it up in your mind and say, what's there for me? And do some inner work with that. And another thing which, which can be done, I think we mentioned it last time, is that you could try role plays With a friend, where you try out some of this, you instruct the other person how to respond and see how it goes. Role plays can be really interesting. Thanks, Vivian. Let's go to Joanna. I don't know if we'll get to anyone. Then there's uh, Kathy and Anna. Hi, Donald. Thank
3: you so much, as always, for your Dharma talks. I find them incredibly helpful. Um, and I, I operate in the business world, so a lot of your wisdom that you share is very relevant. But I do have a question around uh, empathy as it relates to the Dalai Lama speaks a lot about compassion. And then you, have, you use the word sympathy. So if you're able to break down the definitions as you see them between sympathy, empathy, and compassion, yeah. I would be ever so grateful.
0: Yeah, yeah. A very, very important set of distinctions. and they they can be used in overlapping ways. It depends on the usage. My sense is that when they've done, again, at the level of the neurosciences, they have done research and they identify the compassion part of the brain as distinct from the empathy part. Uh, And in my own way of looking at it, uh, I would say that empathy, again, I distinguish between empathy as a natural capacity and empathy as a practice. Uh, and uh, but empathy involves the tuning in to whatever the other person is experiencing. It could be also oneself and whereas compassion we usually think about in Buddhist practice as the tuning in to difficult or painful experiences, and so uh, empathy would open to whatever's there, compassion just to the difficult uh, part of the the range and compassion is both receptive and active. Compassion is both the tuning in, but it's also the response, saying something, doing something, whereas empathy is purely receptive. That's how I would especially make the distinction there. And I think sympathy might be, uh, again, it depends how we define it. It can be defined different ways, but probably be tuning into more what is challenging, And, again, it could probably be both receptive and active, whereas empathy is just receptive. That would be a brief attempt at that. Yeah,
3: Yeah, no, very, very helpful. I mean, you you get leaders like Jeff Wiener talking a lot about compassion. Oprah Winfrey Winfrey talks a lot about compassion. So just explaining that is super useful and very relevant, actually, the way you explained it between being receptive and then the actual action because in my world it would be very action-oriented.
0: Yeah, and then again, that we can distinguish the uh, the sense of empathy as innate, which I'm defining as receptive, but when I bring it into talking about empathy practice, there is an intention, and so there's a kind. It's bringing in also an action component. You know, it's intending to speak for connection and uh, understanding.
3: Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Okay. Um, Kathy, please.
2: Hi, um, my, my mind is more of an observation, um, that I may need help with. So in looking at all of, you know, what you're talking about, and I think about, you know, people I think about, um, especially one person I talk to a lot, um, and, you are saying, well, look look on the, what we're talking about, how you can do better with all these things. And I am great at seeing how she could do better with all these <laughs> things. <laughs> but it's not so easy for me to see how am I going to be better at all these things. And I'm sure I can really work and find out. I know that. And I just, you know, I didn't know if you had any comments for that one. Because I could say, you know, I could spend a lot of time telling the other person, you really need to work on this. You really, Oh, my gosh, oh. you need to work on that. You know, but it's not exactly, I don't feel that's the most helpful way to approach a situation. And I do recognize I need to stop and think and look to myself. So it's yeah. just sort of an observation of Yeah, my yeah. Experience.
0: and I would say in terms of speech practice, just take one of these practices that appeals to you and develop with that. Yeah, does that resonate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Kathy. And how many can relate to what Kathy was saying? Mm-hmm. Very good. Maybe Anna, if you could be brief, we can bring you in if it works for you.
3: Um. Yeah, just I wanted to thank you for the the, ex, the two minute exercise we did because I sometimes, or in some phases, I feel like I'm lacking empathy. Yeah put it with a very negative thing and also maybe put it towards compassion. So that was helpful. Um, So it was really nice to do that exercise and be able to do it. Yeah. Um, And that gives me hope. (laughs) Yeah, so thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So thanks, thanks, Anna. And uh, yeah, very, very nice to hear from you. And I think it's, uh, what my encouragement would be the next period of time. We'll come back and I'll continue with this in August. I forget the exact dates. I think it's it's the 12th and the 19th of of August, if I remember right. Uh, But I'll be back, and so I'll be back in a few weeks. We'll continue with this. My encouragement would be work, you know, we'll we'll have these, uh, we'll have the talk on the web. Work with one or possibly two practices that really resonate with you. Maybe like with several of us, it's the empathy practice. Just but do this with uh, others, with yourself. I'll put on the uh, website for Dharma Seed, I'll put all of the materials uh, that we had as slides that Carlita showed. And I'll put those so you can easily download it from that website. Okay, So I'll do that later today. And then we'll come back and go further. But if you want to work with that empathy practice, just do that around. You can do empathy practice watching a a television drama, right? Just sit there and say, okay, what's this person? What are the emotions there? What matters for this person? You can do it like that. And just keep practicing. Do it with friends. Do it where it's easier first. And then build up the capacity. And this is something I think we need to just... You know, uh, keep on developing more strength at. You can also, if you really resonate with the uh, the guidelines, work with those. Being present. Um, again, I've given four foundations. Work with one or two of them. How many would like to do work in the next period of time with with at least one of these? Okay. Yeah. So think of let's let's close now. Bring to mind your intention for continuing what we've been exploring. How will you do it? What will help you remember to keep, keep developing these capacities? What will help you tomorrow to remember? And then we'll close, as we usually do, with the dedication of merit. May our practice together be a support for ourselves. May it benefit ourselves, benefit those in our lives directly. And then beyond our own circles, may our practice, our time together this morning or afternoon or evening, be of benefit ultimately, to all beings, which includes us. Thank you very, very kindly. And thanks, Carlita. Yay, Carlita. Thanks, Carlita. Thanks, everyone. Feel free to unmute and um, say what you'd like. Thank uh, you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate Thank
0: you. you. Thank you. I'll do my goodbye. Thank you, Thank okay. you very much. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Good night, Donna. Good <laughs> luck. <laughs> Good to yeah. laugh. We'll
2: see you next time. Thanks, everyone.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks for again, Carlita.